Thank you for gathering with us tonight. My name is Chris. And this is a special night for us as a church. We are, we are gathered together on this Good Friday. We, we don't look at the calendar and think that tonight was actually the night that, that Christ died. But what we, we memorialize this evening, his death in preparation for the celebration of his resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. And I hope you're able to join us that morning as well. But we're not in a rush to get there. It's interesting when you read the scriptures and you see uh, how much detail is given in all of the Gospels to this particular week. No matter how much time they give to his birth, his coming to earth, his incarnation as we know it in the church, no matter how much time is given to that in each individual Gospel, each one of them slows down and gives significant detail to this week. It's almost as if time begins to slow, and so we're not in a rush to get there tonight. We know that Sunday's coming. We're not putting Jesus back on the cross. We're not, we're not going back to the moment of our salvation for those who have been saved. But tonight may be your moment of salvation if you've yet claimed his lordship over your life. Tonight, we, we take this moment to reflect because it's what Jesus tells us to do. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus tells us quite a bit about himself. In the Gospel of John, which is where as a church we're going to be spending our time this weekend, we're going to look at two of the specific statements that he made about himself. Metaphorically, he says, I am. Now, there's seven different statements about who he is, and there's five additional ones revealing who he is as the divine one who had come as the Messiah, this man of sorrows, as we just sang about, this suffering servant that Isaiah prophesied of. He reveals himself to be the I am, and when he does that, he's hearkening back to language in Exodus chapter 3, he wants his disciples and he wants his hearers to know he is himself the divine one. Fully God, fully man, come to take away our sin. He declares that he is divine. And he invokes the right response from people. He sees that they are taking him at his word because in John it says, in chapter 8, verse 59, it says that they picked up their stones to stone him because they heard it as blasphemous in the day. It's a bold claim to be sure, but it's a true one from our Savior. He intended for his hearers, those that were listening intently to him, to understand this claim to divinity. Now tonight we're going to look at one of those seven I am statements, one of the 12 statements that he reveals about himself. But as we look to John chapter 6 tonight and Jesus revealing that he is the bread of life, I want us to understand what it is that's going on. Many of us can take Bible stories and we begin to just see them almost as if they're this smattering of things on a timeline. Which came first, this one or that? Those conversations can happen in our home at different times when we might see something on television that references it, and it's like, wait a minute, that happened first, or which one was it? And I'm sure that our home is like yours, but let's make sure that as a gathering tonight, we understand what's going on the day before Jesus fed the 5,000. He took bread from a young man. He divided it out, these five loaves of bread, these two fish, and he performs a miracle where he feeds the 5,000. 
It's how it's commonly known. It's a, it's a story that many of us know, even if you haven't grown up in the church, it's an account that you might have heard of. That's what happened just the day before. And here we begin to see that there is this timeline and this revelation that's happening in Scripture of who Jesus is for me and for you. It's not just for those that were gathered there. See, that gathering of 5,000, they, they actually followed him across the Sea of Galilee that night. They were, they were kind of traipsing along with him because they, they wanted him to continue to feed them. And this sets up the context of what's happening. The crowds had remained, and, and they find Jesus, and they come to him, and they say, Give us this bread. Give us this food again. There's almost this sense in Scripture where it's almost as if they're saying, What is it that we can do to earn this food from you? How is it that we can earn this life-giving sustenance. And here we begin to hear the echoes of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we can do to earn this salvation. There is nothing we can do to pay. Christ himself would have to do that. And that's what we reflect on tonight. He actually calls them out in the verses just before what we'll read tonight. And Jesus says, I want to show you something about the state of your soul more than the state of your stomach. I want to show you something about who I am as the satisfaction for your life. And I'm going to use something so plain and so common as bread to do it. And he's going to connect to the storyline of Scripture, a redemptive story that goes throughout the timeline of history and continues for you and for me tonight. So we rejoice in that. It's right that we reflect somberly, and it's right that we rejoice wholeheartedly at his salvation. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks upon the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled. They grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to Me. Unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, 
except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Father, we pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would allow us to see these words in a new light, understand their application to our lives, and respond according to your leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Bread, something so simple in everyday life. It's an add-on to so many meals. It's the thing that you ask for your server to bring so that you can have the patience to wait for the actual main course. Maybe it's the carrier for whatever the contents of your sandwich that particular day. Maybe it's the side that perfectly complements a particular dish. But Jesus uses the, the simplicity of bread to point to a far greater spiritual truth about himself. It helps us to connect the good news of his coming to our everyday spiritual longings. In other words, it helps us to understand how every day it is that we can enjoy partaking of the bread of life. It also informs how it is that we can engage tonight in communion as we'll partake in just a few moments and in a unique and special way for us as a church. Something different for us to be sure. But we begin by understanding from this passage that it is God who gives bread to those that are hungry. Do you find yourself hungry tonight? It's the rudest thing that I could do. Mentioning food in the dinner hour. For some of you, this is late. For others, this is way too early. But this is commonly the dinner hour. If you were invited to an event around this time, typically, you would have the expectation that there's food or heavy hors d'oeuvres or some, something that would be served to curb your appetite. We don't have that for you tonight. May that be the first and only of your disappointments this evening. It almost seems rude to talk about it, but we're going to do so extensively throughout this passage. God gives bread to those who are hungry. Perhaps your stomach feels the growl right now. Today, my day went very differently than I expected it to. I've had one meal. I know it shows. I've had one meal. The rest is just adrenaline kind of getting us into this evening, but the day went wildly differently than I expected. I know this feeling, but how many of us know that moment of hunger in our stomach, in our souls? That's a little harder to describe, isn't it? It's more like a longing in the night of loneliness. It's more like a, a longing to have companionship, maybe even just be understood or heard. Maybe just somebody to talk to just because you're having a hard time differentiating your own voice in your head and others that are beginning to creep in. You know, Jesus doesn't just provide bread for sustenance as he did in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He provides the spiritual bread for those moments as well. He provides himself. Oftentimes, we come to the Lord and we want Him to meet our physical needs. 
We want him to, to take care of something that we are seeking him out for. I think about this a lot of times at, at Thanksgiving time when there's the Butterball Turkey hotline. It's the most frightening hotline of all because if your family's calling that, something about your Thanksgiving meal is in jeopardy. There's a need and it's immediate. It's something that if you don't get right in a timely manner, there are going to be consequences for the satisfaction of the gathering. I wonder what spiritual needs we come to him with tonight. Whether we'd be willing to admit them out loud or not. Rather than treating God like we do the butterball turkey hotline when we just need help in a moment to get past some hurdle in life. I wonder why it is that you would seek him tonight. Is it to pay the bills? Is it for a healing? Is it in the hopes of finding a spouse? Or is it because you come to him saying, purify my heart that I may sincerely seek you? Those things are real. The need for healing is real. The need for bills and provision is real. The need for companionship and the provision through spouses is real. But is that what we long for and not Jesus himself? Jesus wants to take those things and he wants us to see past them to the deeper spiritual hunger. He's encouraging us through these words, not only to those that heard it in this moment that followed him across the sea, but he's speaking them to us tonight as well when he says, do not devote yourself to these pursuits. Seek the food that endures to eternal life. Seek to find your satisfaction in Jesus alone. It is God who provides the bread of life. And only God's bread can give life. Now, neither manna, he talks about that a couple of different times at the beginning of our passage tonight, at the close of it as well. He talks about the manna that was provided for the people of Israel as they wandered throughout the wilderness. Here they're wandering as a result of their own sin. It's a consequence of their actions. And yet in the midst of that consequence, the Lord provides for his people. Who else but the Lord But see, not the manna on the journey on the promised land, not the barley loaves in the promised land itself, not even the barley loaves on that mountainside the day before. Jesus is saying, only I can satisfy you. How often do we seek the satisfaction that we long for from the bread of this world? In the case of our text tonight, when these huge crowds followed him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus sees that moment to expose their self-centered motivation. He's revealing more of what his work is that glorifies God as his Father. He references God as his Father extensively in this passage. And he reveals the desire for us to be with him with eternal life. It's a promise that's given. Eternal life. If you look at it, depending on the text that you're reading, it's uh, in, in one of the Gospels, it's between four and eight times that that phrase is referenced in this particular passage. That you would be with him for eternity. There's a promise that he is repeating. He wants us to understand God the Father wants us as his people. Physical bread is vital 
for life on this earth. We know this to be true. There was an article that came out a few years ago. It says this, There is one food that unites most of the civilizations of the world, and that's bread. Prepared in a thousand different forms for thousands of years in very different and distant parts of the world, it's a staple of the human diet across many cultures. Carbohydrates, which are rich to provide energy and nourishment just to face the day. They, they also contain proteins and salts and vitamins essential for the proper functioning of the body. In Scripture, we see that the manna came to the Jews and sustained them for physical life, but Jesus came for the whole world to give eternal life. There's no bread of this world that will provide that. There's nothing else that will satisfy us in this life as Jesus can. Think about the comparison to manna. It came in night. If you recall the account that's captured for us in Exodus, manna came in the night. And Jesus comes to us when man was in utter darkness. Manna meets the physical needs, but Jesus meets our spiritual needs. Manna is a gift from God, and Jesus is a gift to the entire world. Manna had to be picked up and eaten. Jesus must be received and appropriated. We have to apply his good news to our lives. I was thinking to, to this earlier this afternoon about all of the things that in theological terms are, are coming to a moment tonight. And I, and I almost had this picture in my mind because of the clear science that I've been taught through Star Wars about what interstellar explosions look like. Tonight is like an interstellar explosion. There's this moment where it goes out and then it implodes in on itself. And it all centers on Jesus. But I want us to make some connections to this. What, what is the theological explosion that happens? Rescue. Redemption. His life for years. It's amazing to begin to think about as, as, as our minds just expand in all of these truths of what's happening, propitiation. He is the one who takes our place. Righteousness given to us as his blood flows. There are all these theological truths that our minds will just begin to expand out into. And then in a moment, in the vacuum of this, it comes down to you and I tonight doing this one R theologically. Receive. I'm here to ask the question tonight. Have you received the bread of life? The bread of God in the wilderness was a gift from the Father, whether it was shaped into manna or Messiah. Have you received the bread of life? Has he begun to meet your deep spiritual need? In a greater way, Jesus, as the bread of life, nourishes people spiritually, and he is this essential staple for us in our spiritual life. Yes, he sends the Holy Spirit. That's true. But I think about even the way that we pray and the Holy Spirit's work. It brings us back to this moment. It brings us back to Jesus Christ. It, it exalts the name and the work of Jesus Christ because that glorifies God the Father. There's not a competition happening in the Trinity. It glorifies him or it does not. It's as simple as that. Unfortunately, in receiving, so many of us miss this. So many of us here tonight 
have had the opportunity to receive of the bread of life. And so tonight is a celebration. There are some here tonight, and this is just so wonderful and so special for me to think about as a pastor. There, I, I know of one at least tonight that is receiving communion for the first time. How precious is that? Tonight could be your first time too. See, we have to eat the bread of life to live. We have to take it in and make it a part of who we are. It has to begin to be a part of how we live and how we move and how we breathe and how we have our being, how it is that we go about our every day. The bread of life has to actually change our lives from being centered on us to being centered on Christ. As we take in and eat this bread of life, we begin to live life to the fullest. There's no ad campaign that's trying to sell you anything here. I'm not trying to tell you that this means that life is going to be all roses and puppies and rainbows and unicorns or whatever does it for you. Those aren't the things that do it for me, by the way, just for the record. Okay, unicorns. No, we have to eat the bread of life to live. You know, the people wanted to have some kind of work to guarantee the possession of this bread. Jesus, give it to us always, they say. What is it that we can do? And, and it made me, my mind go to the words from Romans where it says that the wages of sin are death. There is a work that we're already a part of if we're outside of Christ. And it leads to not only a physical death, it leads to a spiritual death. Jesus says of even the people of God that received the manna in the wilderness, they received the bread of God, but then they went on to die. He says, if you receive me, you will go on to live eternally. We've already looked at how he repeats that promise over and over and over again. But the gospel removes any performance that we have to bring to this other than the simplicity of receiving. In that moment where this theological explosion happens tonight and then just implodes in on itself because of the lack of oxygen, it comes down to this question, have you received? Think about the opposite of what happens in the garden when they take for themselves something. And here Jesus says, receive. It's a gift. It's given for us. It's given for you. It's given for me. But there's no performance that we have to be a part of this. And then God's people grumble at this news. How many people grumble at the provision of God's manna? Our grumbling may take on different forms. It may express itself in different ways in the life of the church, maybe in the life of your own home, perhaps in your workplace, perhaps on your campus. That grumbling can continue to take on many forms today. But here yet again we see the patience and the forbearance of our God. That he withholds his wrath and provides manna. I wonder tonight if I were to go around the room and say, what food would best represent you? How many people might say something like filet mignon or lobster? Maybe a maple donut. I can think of a few maple donuts in the room. Chocolate chip ice cream. He runs the country. There's nothing wrong with these foods. There's nothing wrong with these foods. But they're only enjoyed every once in a while. 
They're only enjoyed every once in a while for most people. Jesus didn't say, I'm the filet mignon of life. Only to be enjoyed on Sundays when you gather together with the church. I am the lobster of life. So that when your marriage is in trouble, you can turn to me. I am the sashimi, I hope I said that right, of life. I'm not going to try to say it again just in case that was accidentally tongues in front of the church. See, those are delicacies that only a favored few can enjoy on occasion. And how often do we treat Jesus that way? Where we only enjoy him on the occasions when there's this deep need or there's this moment of hurdle that we need to get past. But Jesus comes as bread, sitting on the table of king and pauper. He comes as bread, a common staple that anyone can relate to, that anyone can have interaction with on a daily basis, throughout the day, each meal. You know, we may be tempted to think, you're really extracting this bread reference a lot. No, I'm just trying to be true to the text, but why don't we look at another one? Matthew, chapter 6. Many of us know this as the Lord's Prayer. When he prays, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Perhaps tonight you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Can I just make it simple? To receive this all-satisfying spiritual bread of Jesus. Come to Jesus and believe in him. That's what it means to receive, very simply. To receive is to come to him and to receive from him. Jesus declares in our passage tonight in John 6, chapter uh, Chapter 6, verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. There is this giant welcome mat in front of Jesus tonight. He says, come to me. I'm inviting you in, and you say, I have all of these sins. I have all of these things that I have been trying to partake of to satisfy me. And He says, wipe them off at the welcome mat of the cross and come in. Have you entered in? There's a beautiful truth that continues on there. It says, I will not cast out those who come to me. Metaphorically, no matter how muddy, no matter how dirty your sins are, he will not turn you away. No matter how far you feel from him, he says, come. And here's where, here's where I want to lovingly speak to you directly tonight. Those who maybe are at that point where you sense that pull of his call. I want to tell you about the people sitting around you who have responded to that call. They are not sitting around you pointing their finger at you in judgment because they've had to answer that call too. Every single one of them. Every one of us, no matter if we look like we've got our life together or we look like what the cat drug in. He says, come. 
And so rather than pointing fingers at you, I think that there are a group of people around you right now who are lovingly opening their arms to say, go. The church is not a place where we stand with fingers pointed in accusation. We stand with arms open wide because that's what we've encountered in Christ. Go to him. Go to him tonight. The text reads, I will not cast out. I will never, never cast them out. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, this text means that Christ will not at first reject a believer. So tonight, even if you're not good at it, he's not going to reject you. Even if you don't have it all together, he's not going to reject you. Even if you're not sure what to do in just a moment in communion, he's not going to reject you, and neither will we as this church. Before the church gathered here tonight, Spurgeon's quote goes on to say something that should give such tremendous assurance and hope to each one of us. And as he will not cast out at first, Spurgeon goes on to say, so he will not to the last. Your assurance is not now based on your performance either. If your salvation wasn't based on your performance, neither is your assurance. Receive again tonight of the bread of life. He is the one who will make you alive spiritually right now, bringing you into a life-giving relationship with the God of the universe. His life will flow through you. You can relate to him now. It also means that after you die physically, when that moment comes for each one of us, you will be resurrected to live with Jesus Christ forever. What tremendous promises are repeated for us in verses 39, 40, 44, 54. He is the bread of life. And the life that he gives will never falter. The life that he gives will never fade. The life that he gives will never fail. Not then, not now, and not on the day to come. That's the good news of the gospel. So perhaps tonight you want to receive by believing. It's as simple as praying with me now. Just in your own heart, acknowledging this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. Believe that Jesus died, and I believe that Jesus died to forgive me of my sins. I accept your offer of eternal life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for my new life. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. And know this truth. He will not lose you. John 6, 39 tells us he will lose nothing. He tells us for those who believe we can take his word for this. Psalm 145:20 says this as well. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he'll destroy. So for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, as we journey through this life, we must continually come to Jesus and partake of him as our bread of life. Many things in our culture seek to draw us away from Jesus. They try to entice us away. They try to say, we can satisfy that hunger. But don't nibble on the things of the world. Feast on Jesus alone. 
To believe is to internalize this truth about Jesus as you live your life, to, to take this in, to make it a part of who you are. Thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing in him. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing. Understand how Jesus saves a person is not the same as believing. The theological implosion comes down to receiving. If you've received and you believe, it means you're staking your life on that fact. It means you're staking your eternal life on the fact that the only way to live is to receive him. It's placing all of your hope in him to sustain you. What are you facing today that the temptation is to nibble on the things of the world and realize that he alone is the one who can sustain you? Placing all of your confidence in him, all of your hope, all of your trust that he can give you life and strength and he has a future that is glorious for you. The best part of eating the bread of life there is no bill that comes with it. You're not dining and dashing in heaven. There's no bill to come. There's nothing that you can do other than to receive. He is the true bread of life. Eternal life comes only to those who eat of the bread of life. We were made to hunger for him. It's a part of our design. And our starving souls are going to find no satisfaction, no nourishment in this world until we feast on him. Only Jesus can fill the emptiness inside. Only Jesus can quiet the growling of your soul. Only Jesus can give you life.